Welcome to Cowside Conversations, a monthly podcast brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence. We've heard time and time again that dairy farmers learn the most from other dairy farmers. So in this podcast, we are going to share real-time farmer insights, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across Pennsylvania. I'm Jane Seabright, Director at the Center. Here's this month's episode. We have a lot of calls at the center from farmers interested in pursuing value-added businesses to get closer to the consumer. Agritourism is another area where we see a lot of interest from farms. So in this fourth episode, we decided to talk to Carissa Westrick from Loretto in Cambria County about her family's value-added business and their agritourism efforts. I first got to know Carissa 30 years ago when we were county dairy princesses together. That was a long time ago, but Carissa, you've never stopped promoting since. Thank you. So thank you for joining today's call. I've always enjoyed our conversations together. Let's get started. Carissa, tell us a little bit about your dairy operations, those involved, where you're located, and what your role is there. Sure, Jane. Thanks. Our dairy farm is located in Cambria County. We milk about 230 head of cows, average about 80 pounds, Our last test was a 78,000 somatic cell. We produce our own milk. In fact, we produce about 70% of the milk we ultimately process. We do buy milk from a few other local farms. At our dairy processing facility, the majority of what we make is fluid milk. We do also make a full line of dairy products, though. So cultured products, butter, ice cream, you name it, we do it all here. And then we deliver those products directly to consumers. So every single day we have numerous trucks out on the road doing those dairy deliveries from Moo to you. Thanks, Carissa. So let's first talk about your value-added business. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of why and when your family ventured into value-added? Sure. It was my great-grandfather, actually. Um, His name was C.A., and his last name was Idle. I-T-L-E is my family name. He's the guy who decided we should deliver milk to the neighbors. So he hitched up a horse and wagon and drove into the little local town here to make dairy deliveries. So that idea kind of expanded throughout the years. That was 1933, um, whenever he made that first dairy delivery. So a couple generations of our family later, we're still sort of doing the same thing. I guess our neighborhood has expanded a bit. We now deliver within about an hour of our home farm here, but still the same idea. You know, it's still the milk that we process right here on our farm, and we're still making those deliveries and making those connections with local families. That's really cool. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you market your product and how you decided what products to offer to the neighbors. Yeah, we market our products through traditional channels as well as online. So we do try to follow trends as well. Certainly an example of a dairy trend recently is our new iced coffee product. You know, we're always watching national trends and state trends, even though we're operating in our own little corner of the woods here. We are very aware of what's going on in the in the greater dairy world. I've been really happy with how iced coffee has performed for us. We always have sort of a short list of potential products. And, you know, we have a team together here. We kind of get together and knock around some ideas. And, and, the, and the ones that we like, we can then take that product all the way to market. 
So it just requires an open mind with a little bit of an eye towards market trends. Yeah, one thing I thought was really interesting that you guys did a couple years ago is you even picked up on trends for the region. You had a calf born that had a seven on their head, I think, or the seven on their belly. And what did you do with that calf? Sure, yeah. We had a calf with a seven right on his forehead. And of course, you know, in our region of Pennsylvania, we're all Steelers fans. So it occurred to us that our quarterback is also number seven. So we named this calf Baby Ben and actually ended up getting national media attention, believe it or not, out of that calf. But it is just, you know, it's just a testament to the power of social media now to help farmers market events and products. That's really cool. So tell us a little bit about how important you think location is to marketing directly to consumers. So we are pretty close to the highway. We're only about a mile and a half off of Route 22, which is a main east-west thoroughfare um, in our part of the state. So that highway access is convenient for us because we do get milk trucks on the road every single day to make deliveries. We also have to get deliveries in. You know, we buy things like plastic jugs and um, milk cartons and sugar. Those kinds of things arrive on trucks to our facility. In terms of our events or our on-farm dairy store, it's not like anyone just happens to be driving by our location. So that is both a blessing and a challenge. It's a blessing because our farm is located here. And, you know, we have tractors and certainly animals and things like that across the road from time to time. So we're glad not to have too much traffic. Um, but it does provide a challenge then to us to, when we have an event, we're definitely bringing people in specifically to visit us. So it's not like people are driving past and making up their mind on the way somewhere else. So it does provide us with a challenge just to be sure our events are, you know, well-marketed, well-documented, and people know where we are and how to get here. And then tell us a little bit about the regulations and the added hoops you have to go through related to the value-added and marketing side of your business. Sure, yeah. So from a processing standpoint, please know that as a, as a dairy processor, even though we're a small dairy processor, we do follow all the rules and regulations that our larger brethren follow. So, you know, everything from the Food Safety Modernization Act, the product sampling requirements, and certainly product pricing requirements, all those regulations, labeling, um, those all apply to us. So we certainly have to do our homework and keep up on all those, all those requirements. In addition to, you know, the very first one that's key for us is milk quality. We really believe that processing good-tasting dairy products start with high-quality milk. So that's it all starts with milk quality and all the, the rest of the requirements and regulations build from there. Thanks. So outside of the regulations and the components of producing quality products, do you have to have certain types of insurance? Uh, what do you need for a value-added enterprise? It's more probably about the licenses that we have to carry, although we do carry insurances as well. You know, like I said, you definitely do have to do your homework on this kind of thing. Um, we even have customers, for instance, who require liability insurances and, and that they be listed on certificates and things. 
So there, there is a little bit of homework involved from the regulatory side. And what kind of skill sets are needed to operate the value-added portion of your business? I think the one thing that always strikes me is a lot of farmers just decide one day they're going to operate in the value-added space, and it's just not that easy. So talk a little bit about the skill sets that you need to operate that portion of your business. Sure. So truly throughout everything we do, attention to detail is super important. Like I said, we're starting with milk quality all the way through transporting the milk, processing the milk. We document every step of that process so we can guarantee quality. Food safety, quality control, inventory management are all super important to the whole milk story here at our farm. So aside from from those components, then don't forget you need to wear a customer service hat. We definitely, connecting with our customers is key because without customers, you know, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. So that's always, that's always important to us. So is now, I think, the ability for customers to order online. So we do have, you know, a website and the ability to, uh, we have delivery software and all of those parts are important parts of, of what we do here. The milk story from me to you takes, it takes someone looking at all of those pieces. So attention to detail across all those segments is really important. So you talk about all those components. What does the investment in your value-added business look like? Can you talk a little bit about that and what the returns on that investment look like? Just to give people an idea that it's not just all gravy. It's a lot of work and it's sure, not yeah, profitable. The, you've got always. it. Yeah, the capital investments are very significant. There's a reason, you know, we like to say we use my grandpa's recipes we probably use some of his equipment as well. New equipment is very capital intensive. So there's a reason that we limp along, you know, with a with a butter machine that's older than I am, for instance. Those those kinds of investments are hard to make. So certainly anytime you're look at, looking at processing dairy products, the capital investments are a big piece of the puzzle that farmers need to put together. You know, I think the thing to remember is that from a from a dairy producer standpoint, um, the milk price isn't always sufficient to cover your cost of production. In fact, you know, recently it's often not been sufficient to cover your cost of production. From a dairy processor standpoint, there is a margin in the milk price that hopefully you can eke out, you know, a few cents per unit in order to be able to market those dairy products in a profitable manner. These are, you know, we're not, when you, when you talk about dairy processors, you're not talking about big time returns. Certainly if there were big time returns associated with processing dairy products, we wouldn't be worried as a state about trying to provide incentives to lure dairy processors into our market. If this were a more profitable business, certainly those processors would be lining up to, um, you know, to start new operations here. That's a really good point. So before we transition to agritourism, can you tell us a little bit about what you learned along the way in direct marketing your products that you would want others to know before they would venture into the business? Sure. I think what's important and what's empowering is that we are masters of our own destiny. So my family is involved in every aspect of the production and delivery of our dairy products. The flip side of that is we can't point fingers at anyone if we're not happy with the way things are going. All those fingers point back to us at the end of the day. 
So we're tasked with being able to pivot when things aren't going well. You know, certainly this past spring, as we lost all of our school customers and many of our restaurant customers in the blink of an eye, we didn't have time to cry in our Cheerios. We needed to focus on the aspects of our business that were working and pivot in about a minute and a half and turn around and provide those customers with the dairy products that they needed. So, you know, we're so very fortunate to control our own supply chain, but, you know, there definitely are challenges associated with that. Um, if I had to think about what is a piece of advice to um, provide to dairy farmers who are thinking about marketing their own dairy products directly to consumers, I would say that selling milk is not like the field of dreams. If you put in a dairy processing plant, you know customers aren't going to walk out of your cornfield and want to buy your milk. <laughs> you, and it's a, it's a perishable product milk is, especially if you're looking at doing fluid milk. So from the time you put it into a container, you know, you have something like two weeks to make a friend who wants to buy that milk from you. So you really do have to do your work to connect with those consumers and to help them understand why they need to buy the products that you're selling. So that's a great transition, Chris. So as we talk about connecting with consumers, on the agritourism side, I know your farm does a lot. Can you talk a little bit about how you share your story and build those connections? Absolutely, yeah. We think it's important to share our story ourselves. So we really do value and, in fact, look forward to the opportunity to host visitors. Um, we host school kids. We do a formal school tour program. We also have a pumpkin patch event that's really popular, some open houses, and some other events throughout the year. So all of those you know, my whole family attends, and we really are looking to have conversations with our friends and with our neighbors just to talk about our farm and to, you know, let them know that we take very seriously the business of making food for our neighbors. And so you talked about why you think it's important to do all that stuff. Do you have anything else to add? or? I guess just to say that, um, you know, our marketing strategy is that our customers and guests need to hear our story straight from us. So if you visit us and take a hayride, we're not paying someone minimum wage, you know, a high school student to give you a tour. We're on those wagons ourselves. We're talking about our history and answering questions about our cows. And, and it's really an open dialogue on a hayride tour. And that's important. We really feel that that transparency is important and that ability to say thank you. We really look forward to looking our customers in the eyes and telling them thank you for supporting our farm. I mean, that's that's so powerful for us, that opportunity. That's really good. So do you charge for your agritourism activities? And if so, how do you decide what to charge? We charge for almost all of our events. We do have a few open houses that are that are free to the public. In terms of deciding what to charge, you know, we've been doing this long enough that we're fairly comfortable with, with what an admission price should be. We are also mindful, you know, we, we have other folks in our area who provide these kinds of events too, so we, we do always try to remain competitive. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want families to have an affordable day out on the farm. 
So we are looking towards balancing the value that our visitors get from being here with the return that we need in order to pay the staff and set up the event and run the event and clean up the event, all those kinds of things. We do try to find some balance there. And one of the costs that you have to consider when you figure out what to charge is insurance. I assume you need some type of special insurance for the agritourism activities. We do, yes. Yeah, we carry some additional policies that are just associated with having folks out to the farm. So how do either the value-added or the agritourism enterprise affect the employees that you have to have as part of your team? Sure. We, for our events, you know, now we need people who know how to process credit card transactions and scoop ice cream and drive a hayride wagon or, or give a hayride tour. So these are kind of a separate set of skill set from um, our normal daily activities, but there are a few days a year that these are just as important as knowing how to milk a cow. And you had talked a little bit about how the pandemic had affected your value-added business and how quickly you had to pivot. What about the agritourism side? How did it, how did the pandemic affect that in 2020? Sure. Yeah, we did cancel most of our events for the first part of 2020. There was so much uncertainty, and it just seemed like the state regulations about what size of event was allowed, that was changing so quickly, we didn't really know what to do for, for a while. We did meet, and in October, we held our pumpkin patch event. We talked it over, you know, every which way, and we made some modifications. We changed our space to sort of spread things out and minimize our crowds. We didn't want anyone standing in line or standing too close to other people. So, for instance, we put a window to serve in our dairy store so we could serve ice cream cones out the window. We actually gave people the ability, if they wanted to book an entire hayride for their family, they could get online and pre-book family group hayrides. So then if they weren't comfortable riding a public wagon, they had an alternative. So we made a fair amount of modifications in our fall event really just to be respectful of every one of our visitors' level of comfort during the pandemic. And at the end of the day, it was so lovely. We really, you know, our visitors were so respectful of each other and of us, certainly. And we were so glad to be able to give everyone somewhere to go during this crazy time. Yeah, and I know people desperately wanted somewhere to go. So it's good you guys were able to, to pivot. Yeah, we're so, we're, we're honestly so lucky. Just that, that ability to connect, you know, at the end of every hayride, I would say thank you so much for supporting our family farm. And I do this every time, but honestly, this year there were folks like almost in tears just to make that connection and, and feel like that was part of their normal fall family tradition that we could be together and have that opportunity to share that together. We've just, we've all lost so much contact with each other and with the outside world during this pandemic. It was so nice to be able to connect with people again. I think we're all looking forward to when we're able to have those connections again. So my next question, if you're talking to a farmer who isn't involved currently in direct marketing or in agritourism, what advice would you give them? I would suggest that this 
the investment in agritourism can be another revenue stream for their farm. But I think that you have to be prepared to transition from being a farmer to being a host. And there are all kinds of skills associated with opening up your doors and, you know, bringing the public in. That's a really good point. So my last question, would you ever consider hosting a farmer on your farm so they could learn more about what you're doing? We get this request so often, and we are, we are glad to help explain to people what we do, but we just felt like we never had time to do it thoroughly enough. So what we have decided to do, and although this was kind of put on pause for a little bit by the pandemic, is we do offer a From Me to You short course. And we've had some farmers come through this short course. It's either a full day or two half days. And the idea is that when folks come to see us and pay the tuition, they get everything, all the knowledge that we know, whether their interest is in processing dairy products. You know, we walk them through exactly what licenses they need and exactly their hand is on the valve, you know, so they can help understand how milk is processed. If it's events, we kind of open up the books and show them what our events look like and, and help them brainstorm, you know, what maybe would work on their farm. So we do offer that for producers who are interested. That's really good. It's nice that you guys are doing that. So thank you. Like I said, I always look forward to our conversation. Before we wrap up, I wanted to let those listening know that there are three grant opportunities available right now that could help you pursue activities either in the agritourism space or the value-added space. The first, called the Value-Added Producer Grant, is available from the USDA Rural Development Office and has a deadline of March 22nd to apply. Grants are available both for planning or for working capital to invest in producing and marketing a value-added product. The second is available from the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture to fund ag and youth education program efforts, including ag education on the farm. The third grant available is to multiple farmers and processors interested in working together collectively to raise awareness of regionally produced dairy products through agritourism. This grant is being offered by the Northeast Dairy Business Center and has a deadline of March 16th. To find this grant, Google Northeast Multiple Business Dairy Agritourism Grant. To find the USDA grant, Google USDA Value Added Producer Grant. And finally, to find the Pennsylvania grant, Google Pennsylvania Ag and Youth Grant. Carissa, thanks again. I really appreciate your willingness to share your insight with those listening. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining this fourth episode of CalSide Conversations, brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence to share farmer insight, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across the state. For more episodes, subscribe to the series on Apple, Spotify, or Google. I am looking forward to our next conversation.